If you're tired of these promos, supporters get the podcast early and ad-free. Just go to donate.bogosity.tv for the links to sign up. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of November 12, 2023. The podcast that comes with a money-back guarantee. This is your host, Shane Killian. Let's martyrize the news of the bogus. Every time there's a new video from Jan 6 that emerges, we find out something else we were told that was a lie. And in this case, it seems like Pelosi's security chief committed perjury on the stand. Congressman Barry Loudermilk released the evidence saying, quote, An allegation of a Capitol Police officer lying under oath is very serious and must be fully investigated. For this reason, I am releasing these still frames from USCP CCTV video footage with timestamps showing the movements of Officer Lazarus on January 6, 2021. The release was delayed due to the House ousting and replacing their speaker, but after that, those key frames were released to the public, and it's one that Jan 6 defendants known as the Oath Keepers would love to have had, and should have had, as it absolutely calls into question the testimony of the star witness against them. The four Oath Keepers were called the leaders of the insurrection, which is what they called everyone else in their trials and also what they keep calling Donald Trump. This was the first time the Oath Keepers organization, with 35,000 dues-paying members and a spotless record providing disaster relief and security services covering thousands of events, had ever been accused or charged with a crime. The group's founder, Stuart Rhodes, was sentenced to 18 years, Kelly Meggs was sentenced to 12 years, and the rest got less than 9 years. They got those sentences in large part because the government claimed they fought with law enforcement at the top of the stairs next to the Capitol Rotunda. U.S. Capitol Police Special Agent David Lazarus testified that he passed by his fellow officer Harry Dunn engaging with four Oath Keepers three or four times while he was evacuating Pelosi's staffers. He testified, quote, And, you know, one attempted to, I had my lanyard on my ID on it, and one, they were videotaping, and one attempted to pull up my ID, and I kind of, like, grabbed it and looked, made sure it was still there, and then I saw an opening. So then I just kind of, like, walked fast to get into the office and then check on the staff again. Every time I interacted or came by, yes, it was antagonistic. He positively identified the four defendants as those he saw. Despite there being 1,700 cameras and 41,000 hours of footage, no direct video evidence of this confrontation was presented in court. And now we know why. It didn't happen. Lazarus lied. Lazarus wasn't even in that part of the building at the time he claimed. He was in the lower tunnels leading to the Senate office buildings, escorting senators away from the Capitol. Lazarus didn't make it back to the rotunda until three and a half minutes after the last of the Oath Keepers had left the area and exited the building. He arrived at the top of the stairwell just after 3.05 p.m., after the ATF and D.C. Metro Police had completely cleared the top of the staircase, the Speaker's lobby, and the Speaker's offices. 
in complete contradiction of his testimony. The video evidence also makes clear a contradiction in his testimony and Dunn's claims that no one caught. Lazarus said he saw Dunn battling with the Oath Keepers as Lazarus came up the stairs. But according to Dunn, he saw Lazarus with him as Dunn came up the stairs. According to the CCTV footage, Dunn reached the top of the staircase at 2.44 p.m. At that time, Lazarus was in the tunnels, so neither of them could possibly have seen each other. Lazarus testified, Once we started moving through the tunnels, I heard shots fired. And so once I heard the shots were fired, I saw that the senators were doing okay. We had enough agents with them to get them to safety. So I turned around and I started going back towards where I heard the shots were being fired. That call came at 2.44 p.m. when USCP Lieutenant Michael Byrd fired the shot that killed Ashley Babbitt. And by the way, we still have no idea what interactions, if any, Dunn had with the Oath Keepers. This video absolutely should have been made available to the defendants as classic Brady material. And it's an excellent example of why all 41,000 hours of video should be released to the public. Let us see for ourselves what happened and when. If you're looking for a way to support this channel, but you don't have any spare cash and you can't stand ads, you can do so by generating your own cryptocurrency. Use the links at the bottom of the description to follow the link to odyssey.com to listen to the podcast and see all of my YouTube videos as well. Just watching videos will produce cryptocurrency for the creator and yourself. And since Odyssey is always monetized and never censored, you'll have no problem seeing all the videos from your favorite creators. You can also use the library credits you created Odyssey to tip creators and even purchase paid content. Earn library credits through various rewards, including daily view rewards and the number of shares and invites. And you can interact with creators in all sorts of ways, including like and dislike, comment, boost a post by supporting it, repost it, and share to other sites, all while earning crypto for the creator. Easily monetize yourself and your favorite creators using cryptocurrency without advertising. Use the link below to visit this channel on odyssey.com and see many of your other favorites there as well. This podcast was covering the issues with voting machines back before it was cool. It seems like, starting in 2020, the mobs on social media, including many so-called skeptics, were screeching outrage at people who dared to suggest that the machines were anything other than absolutely perfect and there could not possibly be any vote tampering at all. That covered basically every swing state, including Pennsylvania. But now, we have a malfunctioning voting machine error in Pennsylvania that is sparking an outrage. Turns out that, in the race for Pennsylvania Superior Court, when you selected yes or no for one of the candidates, the vote was recorded for the other candidate. Voters began noticing when the printed records didn't match what was on the touchscreen. The manufacturer, Election Systems and Software, said that it was caused by an employee error and they, quote, regret the situation. Gee. How could it be possible for an employee to cause that error? There should be massive checks in the code against this sort of thing.
Problems with the machines have been noted at least as far back as 2019, when malfunctions with the touchscreen system in a judicial race forced a hand count of all ballots. Congressman Byron Donalds tweet text. This is why Americans have a growing distrust of the system. It baffles me how Democrats consistently screw up the execution of elections to the peril and misfortune of the voter. Make elections safe and secure again. Benny Johnson tweet text. Voting machines in Pennsylvania are now being shut down after reports of machines flipping votes. And this is why Americans have lost all faith in our electoral process. Add this to the list of election fraud cases we've recently learned about. Ballot stuffing schemes in Connecticut. Voter fraud strategies in New Jersey. Ballot harvesting operations in Michigan. Illegal ballot drops in Georgia. When will America acknowledge that our election system has been compromised? And the solution, as we've repeatedly said, is simple. Paper ballots. And even if you insist on voting machines, back in March of 2020, we covered the initial release of the open source project Election Guard, which would have prevented each and every one of the problems we've seen with voting machines. The fact that any of these problems are occurring is inexcusable. These problems were solved long ago. And yet, cities, counties, and states all over the country refuse to do anything about it. If you're on the Wi-Fi in a coffee shop or hotel, anyone on that network can get your traffic. Do you really trust all of those strangers? For that matter, do you really trust your ISP? A VPN can protect you from prying eyes, disguise your location, and even foil government censors. It's essential in this day and age. So go to vpn.pagosity.tv and you'll be taken to BoxPN. Starting at just $2.99 a month, you can get unlimited high-speed connections to VPN servers all over the world. And they don't log connections, so your privacy is assured. Traveling abroad, just VPN home. And don't worry about what those other governments are doing. Back at home, stop your ISP from traffic shaping and messing with the quality internet access you're paying good money for. You can connect from multiple machines at once, including your smartphone or tablet, and it supports all the secure standards, including OpenVPN and SSTP. Bypass sensors and surveillance with your own secure VPN connection. Go to vpn.pagosity.tv. It's always interesting to look at overseas news outlets and see what we aren't being told here at home. Case in point, the Times of Israel covering Israel's war on Hamas. And this article pretty much blames Benjamin Netanyahu for the rise of Hamas by constantly undercutting the formation of a Palestinian state, something Israel agreed to back in 1947 with the UN Partition Plan and have been acting against ever since. Netanyahu specifically acted to stifle Palestinian Authority President Mohammed Abbas, and according to this article, he did so by propping up Hamas, all to prevent Abbas or anyone else in Palestine from establishing a Palestinian state. In the course of doing so, Israel held indirect negotiations with Hamas through Egypt and allowed Hamas to obtain cash aid from abroad including suitcases full of millions in Qatari cash flowing across the border into Gaza. Finance Minister Bezalel Smotrich even said in 2015 
that the idea was to treat the Palestinian Authority as a burden and Hamas as an asset. Netanyahu is reported to have said at a Likud meeting in 2019 that anyone opposing a Palestinian state should support the transfer of funds into Gaza in order to maintain separation between them and the Palestinian Authority in West Bank. And so, all to prevent the Palestinians having self-determination, Hamas got so powerful that they were able to launch the October 7 attacks. Soon after it happened, reporter and diplomat Tal Schneider wrote, The difference between Islamic Jihad and Hamas doesn't matter much at this point. As far as the state of Israel is concerned, the territory is under the control of Hamas, and it is responsible for all the training and activities there. Hamas became stronger and used the auspices of peace that Israelis so longed for as cover for its training, and hundreds of Israelis have paid with their lives for this massive omission. Judging by the way Netanyahu has managed Gaza in the last 13 years, it is not certain that there will be a clear policy going forward. More recently, she reported how Netanyahu had been hiding from the press, and when he finally came out for a press conference, he tried deflecting all of the questions to his cabinet ministers. She wrote, Do they really not realize that the people have heard enough hot air and cliches through the years that they should have spared us the sweaty effort to cultivate a fighting spirit and instead just honestly answered as many questions as possible? As ever, Netanyahu didn't address what he was asked. He arrived at the press conference with a page of prepared messages and lowered his eyes to his paper to stick to his pre-prepared words. Zero public courage. That's certainly not a good way to deal with the fact that protests against him have been picking up steam since 2019. As I've said before, I don't know what it means when Jewish Israelis like Schneider are more free to criticize Israel and Netanyahu than Americans are. One thing's for sure, we won't get the full story by sticking to the U.S. news media, but that's just par for the course. Do you have children or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? If so, go to bogosity.tv slash Tuttletwins and you'll be taken to a website where you can get some great books for elementary age children. The Tuttle Twins books are books about liberty and free market economics that include children's versions of Bastiat's The Law, Leonard Reed's I Pencil, and Hayek's The Road to Serfdom, as well as books about the Federal Reserve and how regulations protect business cronies. They'll learn about the harm caused by eminent domain or regulations passed in the name of safety and fundamental concepts of liberty. And as you can see from the sample pages on the website, they're all easy to read and nicely illustrated. They're just $9.99 apiece, or get a special discount as well as free bonuses when you purchase all five. You can even buy in bulk to donate to schools and local libraries. So get the Tuttle Twins books at bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins. And now it's time to deallocate this week's biggest bogun emitter. And it's another for the ATF as we have more movement in Vanderstock v. Garland. If you remember our previous coverage from over a year ago, this is the case where the Biden ATF went against tactical machining by redefining firearm. It's an attempt to go after self-made firearms, 
a tradition going back to the revolution itself and something long recognized basically everywhere in the U.S. until politicians freaked out over the advent of 3D printing. They began manipulating the frame or receiver rule to make it vague enough to refer to all sorts of inert objects. The plaintiffs sued, and the lower court found in their favor, so the ATF appealed. And now, the Fifth Circuit has smacked them down and hard. In an opinion delivered by Circuit Judge Kurt Engelhart, the three-judge panel ruled, It has long been said, correctly, that the law is the expression of legislative will. Critically, then, lawmaking power, the ability to transform policy into real-world obligations, lies solely with the legislative branch. Where an executive agency engages in what is, for all intents and purposes, lawmaking, the legislature is deprived of its primary function under our Constitution, and our citizens are robbed of their right to fair representation in government. This is especially true when the executive rule-turned-law criminalizes conduct without the say of the people who are subject to its penalties. The agency rule at issue here flouts clear statutory text, and exceeds the legislatively imposed limits on agency authority in the name of public policy. Because Congress has neither authorized the expansion of firearm regulation nor permitted the criminalization of previously lawful conduct, the proposed rule constitutes unlawful agency action in direct contravention of the legislature's will. They also voided the rule for vagueness, quote, the phrase may readily be converted cannot be read to include any objects that could, if manufacture is completed, become functional at some ill-defined point in the future. This would strip the word readily of its meaning and allow for regulation of weapon parts generally, which, as we have seen, was not Congress's intent. And, of course, what they did was blatantly political, quote, ATF, in promulgating its final rule, attempted to take on the mantle of Congress to do something with respect to gun control. But it is not the province of an executive agency to write laws for our nation. That vital duty, for better or for worse, lies solely with the legislature. Only Congress may make the deliberate and reasoned decision to enact new or modified legislation regarding firearms based on the important policy concerns put forth by ATF and the various amici here. An agency cannot label conduct unlawful one day and felonious the next, yet that is exactly what ATF accomplishes through its final rule. There were also some good comments in a concurrence from Andrew S. Oldham, quote, ATF's overarching goal in the final rule is to replace a clear, bright line rule with a vague, indeterminate, multi-factor balancing test. ATF's rationale? The new uncertainty will act like a sword of Damocles hanging over the heads of American gun owners. Private gun making is steeped in history and tradition, dating back to long before the founding. But if ATF can destroy that certainty, it hopes law-abiding Americans will abandon tradition rather than risk the ruinous felony prosecutions that come with violating the new nebulous, impossible-to-predict final rule. He even pointed out that the old rule had numeric certainty. If it was 80% complete, it counted as a frame or receiver. But, quote, ATF instead chose to change the meaning of firearm so that it can apply to any piece of metal that has been machined beyond its primordial state. Why? 
ATF wants the flexibility to regulate unformed, unfinished pieces of metal when it, in its judgment, thinks regulation is necessary. He concludes, The final rule is limitless. It purports to regulate any piece of metal or plastic that has been machined beyond its primordial state for fear that it might one day be turned into a gun, a gun frame, or a gun receiver. And it doesn't stop regulating the metal or plastic until it's melted back down to ooze. I feel I have to give Oldham credit for the number of times his brilliant legal opinion used the word ooze. Also, gotta love a concurring opinion with pictures. Don't celebrate just yet. Samuel Alito, the circuit justice for the Fifth Circuit, has stayed the decision as the case continues to the Supreme Court. But still, after that smackdown, only the ATF could have been this week's biggest Bogani emitter. I want to tell you about the eyeglasses I've been wearing for years. As people can see on my videos, I have a very strong prescription, which makes glasses more expensive, especially when I need computer glasses, reading glasses, prescription sunglasses, and most expensively, progressive lenses for general everyday wear. To save money while still getting quality glasses, I get them from Fermu. In fact, I just got a pair of progressives with high-index aspherical lenses and a nice pair of frames my wife loves for just over $100. It would have been $500 to get them through my eye doctor. Not only do they look good, the glasses are durable. I've worn many pairs for several years without problems. All orders come with a 30-day return policy, a 3-month warranty, and one-on-one -on -one customer service. Go to Firmu, that's F-I-R-M-O-O dot Bogosity dot TV, anytime you need quality glasses at a low price. Once again, that's Firmu dot Bogosity dot TV. And now let's stridulate this week's Idiot don't understand why it should take over three years to litigate accusations of election fraud when major elections happen every two years. But apparently, Fulton County, Georgia has messed up this litigation so bad that two high-powered defense attorneys suddenly filed a motion to withdraw from Favorito v. Juan, a case where several voters filed claims of vote dilution against the county and also claimed that the county violated the Georgia Open Records Act. The trial court dismissed the claim for lack of standing, which is a joke. As bad as the concept of standing is at the best of times, all Fulton County voters should have standing to sue. And when it's a presidential election, everyone in America should have standing. They denied it the same way a lot of the election cases were denied, that somehow damages made to thousands of people aren't as bad as damages made to one. The state Supreme Court reversed that decision and said that, yes, they have standing to sue, and remanded the case. Now, before we go much further, I want to point something out. We're used to citizens being the defendants because in criminal cases, it's the government prosecuting them. But in this case, which is a civil complaint, citizens are suing the government, so Fulton County are the defendants. So when we talk about these defense attorneys, they're attorneys who were representing Fulton County. And when they move to withdraw themselves from a case that's gone this far, something is very wrong. 
They didn't mention a cause for withdrawing, which is also strange. Generally, judges want attorneys to show cause once a case is underway. If it were some kind of personal issue, for example, they could easily mention that. It would also be unlikely to happen to two of them at the same time. But Rasmussen reports TweetXed. These 150,000 still-secret 2020 unfolded mail ballots with the perfect ovals protected by court order for three years may have gone missing, and the county's lawyers have just quit. This is referring to earlier reports on the mail-in ballots, which actually number 147,000, where the ovals were perfectly filled in and also contained a tiny crescent-shaped void which is indicative of being printed with toner instead of marked with a pen or pencil. The ballots were also printed on different paper than the others and weren't creased or folded, which mail-in ballots must be because they have to be folded to be put in the envelopes. Fulton County Poll Manager Susie Voyle said, quote, All of them were strangely pristine, and added that she'd never seen anything like it in her 20 years of monitoring Fulton County elections. After she came forward with this information, she was fired. The lawsuit wants an independent review of these ballots. If it turns out they're bogus, throwing them out could easily make the difference of 12,000 votes that separate Biden from Trump in the state. And apparently, there are 73 other counties in Georgia who haven't made their original ballot images available. Lead petitioner and certified poll watcher Garland Favorito said, quote, we have what is almost surely major absentee ballot fraud in Fulton County involving 10,000 to 20,000 provably false ballots. We have confirmed that there are five pallets of shrink-wrapped ballots in a county warehouse. And there are also apparently a lot of chain of custody issues. Also, as confirmed by open records requests from 56 counties, most or all of the voting machine images have been destroyed. For evidence as to how much you can trust AP's fact checks, they called all of this false because it doesn't prove voter fraud. But the standard in election cases has never been to prove fraud. The only standard that has ever been is to call enough ballots into question that they outnumber the margin of victory. Regardless of the reason, losing two of your biggest attorneys amidst all of these other issues spells trouble for the county. So all of that makes Fulton County this week's Idiot Well, that wraps up this We Believe You, Thousands Couldn't edition of the Bogosity Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please go to donate.bogosity.tv for several ways to support and discord.bogosity.tv to join the discussion. Subscribe at Patreon or Subscribestar, and you can listen early and ad-free. Thank you for listening. Until next time, here's a quote from Angus Johnston. If skepticism means anything, it means skepticism about the things you want to be true. It's easy to be a skeptic about others' views. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution on Commercial Low Derivatives 4.0 International License. Bogosity.